All right. Well, good evening, everybody. This is uh, week three or class three of our mindfulness meditation class. My name is Carlos Gonzalez, and I look forward to having a session where we focus on befriending and continuing the practice that we have been uh, doing for a couple of weeks together and maybe a lot longer uh, on your own. I wanted to start today's class with a poem. And from there, we're gonna just do a short sit. And then we'll move into sort of a check-in, a little bit of a conversation together, and we'll see where it goes from there. So today's poem is actually from a favorite poet of mine that I often go to, and um, it's called The Summer Day. And it's a poem by the poet Mary Oliver. Um, so The Summer Day, here we go. And let me just uh, switch um, screens here so that you could actually see this, the, the poem as well. So there it is, all right, the summer day. This is gonna be in your notes for this week. Um, poetry is a beautiful uh, form and art form that often leads us to our heart. Um, and so um, take this poem in and don't look for meaning necessarily, just enjoy it and see where it lands in your heart. The summer day, who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean, the one who has flung herself out of the grass, the one who is eating sugar out of my hand. Who is moving, who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down? who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? So I invite you, before we sit for a moment, to take your right hand, place it on your chest. Take your left hand, place it on your belly. Take a seated sort of posture of meditation, so an upright back. Feel your sits bones and notice your feet touching the ground. And just as you hold yourself, gently holding yourself, just notice your breath and see if you could Sense your heartbeat. Take a moment to welcome yourself, to remind yourself that you are in a safe place.
remind yourself that you belong, that this is home, that your body is home. off my glasses so with your hands just warm up your hands we're going to just touch our eyelid our, our our face with our hands if you have glasses you could take them off so warm up the hands just place them over your eyes and as you place them over your eyes just take a moment and massage your face and keep just breathing and as you cover your eyes Notice the darkness. Notice the space within. You may even sense your heartbeat at this point, beating throughout your body. and release. We're going to do a little uh, four-minute meditation, very short uh, meditation practice, just to root ourselves in the practice. Once again, I'll go through the uh, steps. Um, I do this repetitively so that uh, it becomes sort of ingrained in sort of our memory. I do it to myself all the time. I remind myself the steps because uh, otherwise um, we get sloppy and we want a little bit of precision and a little bit of right effort in what we're doing. So we first take our seat and just notice the bony structure connecting um, with your seat, right? As you move up or forward and back, just notice that tilt and how you could feel the weight of the body grounding itself to the seat, to your cushion, whatever it is that you're using to sit, and find just that middle point. Place your feet wider than your hips and your knees below your hips. So your knees are going down slightly and they're wider than your hips. So it's a comfortable seat. Adjust as much as you need to. You could put a little smile. We don't have to be deadly serious in this. We place our hands facing down on our knees and we take the shoulder blades back a little bit and then relax them down so that it feels comfortable. The back is long, but not stiff. So long back, lengthened back, but not stiff. And then we bring our chin slightly down as we bring the chin slightly down, we notice the neck. And then from here, we bring the focus to the sensations of the breath all around the body. So not just now the nose, but we notice the belly moving. We also notice the chest expanding. So we are drawing the attention to the bodily sensations of breathing. We then bring the awareness to the focus to the coolness of the air coming to the nose, the warmth of the breath going out the nose. 
we go a little bit further today and we notice the air going through the back of the throat. And the breath coming back up and throughout the nose. So the focus becomes the sensations that are associated with breathing. And so we have a very large area of the body, we could say, that becomes the ground that we can root ourselves in focus and attention. Now we're going to start in a second. And when we start in these first four minutes, especially because it's such a short time, we will inevitably drift our focus to our thoughts. And as we've said before, there's absolutely nothing wrong with thinking. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with losing the focus on the breath to go into the thoughts. And so that happens and it will happen. And when we notice, we label that thinking and with gentleness and precision, we return back to the focus on the sensations of the breath. And notice now I'm talking about the sensations of the breath and not just the breath. So it's the sensations of the breath. So I'll start. Four minutes. I'll ring my trusty time. And I'll ring it at the end. So we continue, and that choice of word is important. The idea is that when we finish our formal meditation, sitting meditation practice, we continue that practice. <clears throat> we do so in our day-to-day -day life. And what does that mean to continue the practice? It means that we continue to bring our attention to the present moment, to focusing on the right here and the right now. Given where we are right now in our culture, even doing what we're doing right now in this Zoom room, we live in a highly distracted environment. <clears throat> 
right, in a in distracting environment. All around us, lots of stimulation, lots of things to take us away from the moment and put us somewhere else. That, that uh, temptation or that tendency or those distractions are increasingly becoming more intense. I see that dramatically with my students, uh, young people facing that. Um, but I also see it in all demographics, including older people that are also being exposed to the kinds of technology that we have. So continuation means, can we train so that we use every part of our life as an aspect of the practice and, um, and remain present to ourselves and then to one another. That is the aim of the sitting practice. The aim of the sitting practice, which is 20 minutes, an hour, maybe if you're like really meditating a lot, you know, three hours. I know the Dalai Lama meditates for like four hours in the morning. Um, you know, that's the Dalai Lama, but most of us are doing 20 minutes, 10 minutes. Um, and then the rest of the day, you know, what are we doing? So the rest of the day, the idea is that we use the formal practice to support the rest of the day. And it goes to show you if someone like Dalai Lama is doing four hours and um, he has a lot of training under his belt, it probably means that we're, we're probably under practicing ourselves to get some benefits, right, in terms of the practice and our day-to-day -day life. But the idea is to continue, to continue. So um, today I wanted to talk about befriending and um, especially as we practice and we start on our path and in our journey of meditation, a lot of times people have a fear that when they do that, they're going to go inside and then they're gonna find things that they don't like uncomfortable sensations or emotions or ideas or past experiences that will come up. And in fact, that is something that often happens. As you start slowing down, those things which have been bubbling within you, which have been kind of rumbling, but you have been sort of putting down through the activities that we've been engaged in, those things start sort of showing themselves. And oftentimes they might be things that scare us, things that um, unsettle us. When we experience suffering, there's a couple of escape routes that we usually take. The simple escape route is go eat Ben and Jerry's ice cream. You know, um, other escape route, maybe go drink. Other people go shopping. Other people watch uh, Netflix for 25 hours a day. Um, you know, all sorts of ways that we can easily kind of distract ourselves from the immediacy of the suffering or the pain that we're in. Oftentimes, then it kind of morphs into something a little bit more complex, which is we start thinking about the future. And that future is. Maybe after this thing is over, 
after COVID is over, after these restrictions are over, after I get this other job done, or if I, after this problem gets solved, I'll be happy then. But right now, I'm pretty miserable. And so we have future thinking escape routes where happiness is always on the horizon line. And then we get there and you know the horizon keeps moving from us. And so we never are happy because we're always looking somewhere else. We become a bit of a hamster. So those two points of like uh, modes of taking ourselves away from our suffering in a, in a what seems to be a quick way often puts us at a point where we get really, really busy all the time. And we are nonstop throughout the day doing this project, next project, the other project. And ultimately that often has to do with the silencing of the inner part of ourselves that might be asking for attention to find relief from the aches of our heart, right? And so when we start slowing down and we start mm, sort of allowing for those aches to find voice, not so much in the actual formal practice, but actually after the formal practice, you may notice sensitivity. And so what do you do with that? And so what we do with that, according to the, the, this practice itself, is that we practice the practice with it. In the same way that um, we label the thoughts thinking in a non-biased way, when we approach those parts of ourselves that we may not feel very comfortable with or that feel a bit scary or unsettled or unsettling, we approach the same idea, those things with the same concept of non-judgment and non-bias which ultimately is a form of befriending. We approach with care, we approach slowly. Sometimes we approach with the help of other people. Maybe sometimes we need some professional help, but oftentimes it means that we just slow down enough to listen to our hearts and then to realize that there's humanity there and that there's goodness in the ache, even those things that seem to be not I what you know what others may not think of as ideal are oftentimes the the quirks and the flavors that give our life their particularity, their individuality, and the gifts that we offer the world. So that notion of befriending is very important. It means that we don't push anything away. Uh, it means that we don't attach or bring anything to us either that we observe, we take a witness sort of stance with our lives and we just look and we say, ha, ah, ah, how, long, how long have we been working with this, with ourselves? That's amazing. And here we are. And in the same way that a friend would come and tell us something and we probably would offer them tremendous amounts of kindness if they're struggling, can we be a friend to ourselves? Some weeks ago, I was in the women's prison and I had a student. And that day I got through the, um, you know, the check-in point and the student tells me, like, I almost, like, it was almost immediately, yeah. I, I shot my husband with a shotgun. It was our fourth year anniversary. 
And uh, I blew him away. And I looked at her and I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and then I, I didn't say, I said, oh, okay. How are you doing today? And the next, the conversation continued a little bit. She didn't, I didn't ask her like, why did you shoot him? Or uh, what happened? I didn't do that. I just, I, I just let her say whatever she was saying. I acknowledged it. And, and then we kept on. And then we did our sitting meditation practice. We sat, we meditated, we did a little bit of yoga. We had a great discussion. I went back to the car. And then as I sat in the car, I cried. And the reason I cried was I, I thought about what had happened. And when she told me that, I felt no judgment for her. I felt like nothing about what she said, like took me back and made me scared of her or made me think less of her. I offered her compassion. And I wondered, how is it that I don't offer myself that? That radical acceptance that I'm talking to somebody who killed another human being and I could acknowledge them as a full human being and see their goodness. And yet, oftentimes, I don't extend that to myself. I'm speaking about me, right? Maybe that those are not your situations. But this is what I mean about befriending and, um, and having a sense of a radical openness to our own lives, just as they are, and not pulling back, and not being like, oh. it's just saying, yeah. And let's do this next thing. It's okay. I see your humanity. I'm going to pause there and open it up to any comments, observations yourself. What are, what, what are you seeing regarding befriending in your own practice? What's coming up for you as you sit during the week? Um, what are you discovering? Oftentimes the discoveries are they they come they they don't come immediately they they come like in surprising moments that you go like oh okay i didn't expect that and then you realize that there's a connection to the fact that you've been doing this with yourself for a period of time so i don't know who wants to jump in i noticed this last week meditating while in meditation that most of the thoughts that keep on coming to me are trying to are stories or or rationalizations trying to protect who i think i am or, or like or like make me come out like good in a story like come out as a, like, as a good version of me or, or something like that, defending, you know? Hmm. I wonder if, if that also is something that Susan alluded to last week with that concept of toxic positivity that um, you know, we put on a, uh, our sort of our outward face becomes like 
the smile and the, um, the saying yes to things because you know we want to be that good person because we have that concept of goodness you know that person does i think susan is trying to say something i, I know her. i was trying to calm my dog down <laughs> my dog is i'm finding a new place to sit on the floor for our class yeah. and it's just too much excitement for max um and I'm sitting on the floor because sitting at my desk felt like too much. Enough about me. Um, what you said, and I'm sorry, honey, I, your name was, is. I'm Hugo. I'm Ooh. glad that you said that, Hugo. It's, it's a really important thing in my life to always remain in this crazy positive way. And I realize that I'm, I'm, it's an attempt, I believe, of my ego trying to tell me what my soul is. And that it's a big concept to grasp. Because the outer me, the outer person, shouldn't tell the inner person how to, how to react and respond and everything else. And, and oh, something to struggle with. Something to think about. I'm sorry about my dog. Uh, we can't hear the, your dog. You can't. Nope. He's desperate, trying to get attention as we sit no, on the floor. There's together. no sound. At least I'm not hearing the dog. Good. <laughs> yeah. He makes himself known. I don't know if, if I even addressed that. I was distracted by my own ego and my pooch. We wear all sorts of masks. And um, one, of the, one of the kind things about this practice is that when you sit for those 20 minutes, you don't have to have a mask on. And, um, and that's part of the relief that we often feel that we could drop all sort of masks. And masks are not, Masks have purposes, right? So it's not like we realize that masks are wrong. It's just, they have a role to play. Sometimes we wear a mask for a reason. Sometimes we need protection uh, because we're in an unsafe place. And this, the lack of safety calls for a mask. The issue is when the mask becomes stuck and we no longer can remove it and it becomes part of the identity and we, we, we don't see the distinction anymore and we lose ourselves. And the, one of the elements of this practice is that when you sit, you can relax into letting go of those masks for, those, for that time. And you're practicing, meaning you're just, you're attempting. It's not like you're prying off the mask and violently taking it off. You're allowing it to slip off very naturally. And this is why it takes a long time because to do it with strong effort, to pry off those masks with strong effort would be a violent act that we would be hurt by. 
and that we would react to and actually create stiffer resistance. And so we want gentleness. It's sort of like when you go into a deep stretch, you don't go into the deep stretch right away. You go very gently into the stretch and little by little, the body gives. And that's the way we go about it. And with this practice, it's the same way. Ultimate patience to allowing a relief and a release of, of the masks that we wear sometimes. So this is pointing to a powerful sort of outcome. If we could say if there's an outcome or if there's a benefit, this is a powerful benefit um, of this practice. It's kind of like when we covered our eyes and we felt the goodness of the darkness, of that release of not having to look at blue light coming in or any light for that matter. And how wonderful that feels. It's like, yeah. Who, wants to, who else wants to jump in? Those, that's like a great conversation there. Um, I'll share something. Um, I think for me, the challenge has always been with meditation. Um, that I, sorry, I've got kids and a husband in the background. Uh, that I, I oh, it, it's that, that sense of like coming back, you know, when you're coming back to essence, you also have to grapple with reality versus the way that we're trying to perceive or rationalize the world around us. And so, um, that's just one of my many uh, wonderful personality issues that I got to work with. But it's just as far as for me, it's that struggle of just being present and um, that acceptance of what is and actually seeing uh, reality for what it is versus um, the way that I, I would like to perceive it in a, so that it's easier for me to ingest because reality is hard sometimes and so that that would be my biggest challenge uh most of the time with um with with meditation and i'll add to the mass conversation i have a teacher who talks about how our personality is our you know is our mask and the problem is is that and 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 what starts to happen to us and it's kind of what you're talking about it being stuck is that what starts to happen is we start over identifying with the mask and we start polishing it versus trying to get behind it. And that so many of us are just walking through our day-to-day -day life, just trying to polish this mask so that this mask continues to be palatable for everybody around us um, versus getting behind the mask and, and accepting what's, what's behind the mask and that it's actually much more beautiful and there's much more depth there. Um, so, okay, that's it. So as a, as a, how old are your kids, Vanessa? Oh, they're small. They're not uh, nine and eight. Oh, wow. Yeah. So how, so when you talk about the reality is part of the reality that you're juggling, the reality of sort of the responsibilities of mom, of, of motherhood and sort of um, Vanessa, the person, Vanessa, the mom, Vanessa, 
you know, like the many roles that Vanessa plays, is that the reality that you're alluding to in the in the challenge? Hmm. Um, sure. I think that's a part of it. Um, but also just that I just even in 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 general in my relationships and in the way that I just walk through the world, I always want um I always see potential instead of what is. And so um, I, that, that's, that's kind of like the crux of it. Like I'm always seeing like what could be versus what is. And so I think that it, it's, so it's all of it. Yes. It's, it's both. And. Hmm. So in that regard, it would be like the future thinking that in the future, potentially this could be so much better, but right now it's really shitty or not as good as it could be. And then what be, and so like dropping into being at ease with the seeming imperfection of the moment. And instead it's the focusing on perfecting what's right now, but that means then that you can't fully truly enjoy the reality of things as they are. Is that what you seem to be saying or am I missing it? No, um, I think that that's, that's definitely a facet of it. Um, for me, more so than a perfection of the moment, it's a attempt at removing suffering. Yeah, oh God. Because I'm pretty good, I'm pretty good with, I'm, I'm cool with imperfection. I'm not cool with suffering. Yeah, me too. And, <laughs> so that's what... <laughs> I'm like, let's, let's just have a party instead. Okay. And um, so, yeah, it, for me, more than anything, it's, I, I think that there's a lot of excitement and beauty and di dynamism in imperfection. Um, but I struggle um, most with not accepting my pain. Therefore, I suffer and therefore that taints things. So let's just think of what could be and not what is, because if I think of what is, then I have to grapple with, uh, with their, uh, you know, my own uh, shit. <laughs> gotcha. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes people believe, they have beliefs that suffering is a sin or it's a consequence of sin. That if you suffer, it's because you did something wrong, that you did an offense to God or some being and that therefore it's a punishment. It's also the, a very core belief, oftentimes culturally, that we're born in that sin, that we're born, we're born and we are flawed from the beginning and therefore our suffering is a consequence of being human and it's a curse. And, you know, that's one way of seeing it, but then you realize that's not the only way of seeing it. And you realize that, you know, maybe we could see suffering as part of what it means to be a life form that all beings suffer, not just humans, but you look at all animals and insects, you know, they have pain if they have a nervous system, you know? This is good. Kimas, who else is, wants to jump in? 
Carlos? Yes, ma'am. You brought up what we're raised with and those ideologies that are passed down, maybe through generations, like suffering. Like it's your, it's your right as a human to accept that because of some garbage bullshit that you've been told. Like, oh, well, this is just a part of, you know, your repentance and all of that. How do you, how do we deconstruct a lot of those <clears throat> tenets that were rocks of either a faith background or a, I don't know, uh, maybe like a punitive parenting background. You know, it just is, you just sit with it. But that's an interesting concept that you bring up um, that I never really bought into in, in a rational level. But I think at the core of it, maybe that's a big part of that human suffering that you're somehow you you are you owe it to society or your faith or your responsibility as a human to feel that suffering therefore you need to feel like a piece of crap or something like that in order to find redemption mm -hmm. that's a big thing to put on a on a small mind yeah. small mind me being the 56 year old me too. Never really thought about it. Yeah. The nice thing is that we have time. This yeah. is, you know, I, I part of what we're also taught is that we don't have time. That somehow we need to speed up. And yeah. sometimes somehow we need to figure this out right away. And we need to be desperate about figuring it out. And the reality is, at least the way I see it, is like, no, we don't. We could slow down and you know what? We could take our sweet time. If the universe has taken 13.7 billion years to emerge and evolve, then we're right there with it. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, that sense of immediate urgency that's now or never, that sometimes doesn't serve us. You know, it's, you know, sometimes the most, Wonderful thing is just to slow down, which again, the practice brings us back to kind of like our, our desire to escape takes us to busyness, right? To staying busy, um, to, you know, to being frantic. And the antidote is do the opposite. And the opposite would be like, well, then slow down. And part of that slowing down is really, first of all, like in a mental way that, you know what, it's been 55 years for me of, and you know, uh, sort of experience being a uh, five foot five male born in Cuba, raised in Miami, uh, culturally acclimated to a capitalist society, um, all these things. 55 years of all of that conditioning. And I'm not suddenly going to wake up tomorrow and uh, like come out of that. I mean, I could, but my goodness, that would be probably like something radically difficult 
and maybe I, I got hit in the head. You know, parts of me would be lost if I did. And so maybe we could just say like, okay, we're going to take our time and maybe savor this process. And that we don't have to reject that, except we could actually draw it in, draw it into ourselves and say, oh yeah, this is part of my conditioning. I see it. I don't push it away. I just see it. And I, and I can befriend it. How interesting, you know, and we start wondering about it. And then it, then I guess that's the part of dissolving, you know, that whatever it is that we no longer kind of like push away, ceases to have so much influence and power over us. Maybe that's the deconstruction. The deconstruction of things that don't serve us uh, happens as we don't push them away so much as we don't resist them so much, but instead we just kind of like, ah, yeah, my friend, the, the guilt that I acquired for all these years of confessing my sins, <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's, you know, how, how can we get rid of that? My sins for being human. Well, um, we have a little bit of time left. Um, boy, um, befriending, right? Um, so many different ways that we can approach this. This practice is extensive, right? Every day we, we can discover something um, about it. Going back to this notion um, that I pointed out at the beginning and week one in, in the notes about cool boredom and hot boredom, right? Sometimes people complain when they sit because it's boring. Um, and there's something about this practice because it's so extensive that everywhere you go, you go, this is an opportunity to continue to practice. At what point, I was talking to Ugo today. He, Ugo's in the house, he's here in, in my house. Um, Ugo's my nephew. Um, you know, at what point, and there's Maribel, at what point do we, like, just say, fuck it, you know, I'm just going to be, like, I'm going to get get away from, like, this idea of just practicing and meditation, and I'm just going to have a good time. Like, oh, yeah, we could do that. Like, that's possible, you know, go have a, you know, go, go to the party, go dance, go, you know, go be yourself. But even that is part of the practice. <laughs> You know, we don't have to throw that away. We could actually bring that in and be aware. And the what we want to be aware of is, hey, at what point am I trying to escape? Can I notice my escape pad, you know, patterns? And can I, and if I could notice that, like, can I can I just like be with it and say, like, oh yeah, I'm trying to escape here. And maybe you actually do it and you go, like, oh yeah. There, I really worked on my escape. And the minute that you're able to recognize it, you're basically labeling it thinking. You're befriending it. And you're good to go. Maybe that's what you needed to do right there. And then you come back into that awareness of where you are and who you are and what you want to do. So anybody finding challenges to the sitting, you know, like 
maybe, um, you know, no, this is like not working out or I'm, you know, my legs are numb or I'm having pain or, you know, like my mind is, you know, some, you know, maybe you're feeling anxiety. Um, is there anything that's coming up that you go like this becomes unbearable to do or very challenging? I still find it hard, uh, difficult to do the 20 minutes. And I know that you said it's okay to do five minutes, 10 minutes. And uh, so I find that 10 minutes, I feel good. If I go past that, it's work at this time <laughs> in my practice. Um, so I actually feel more anxious and uh, kind of irritated. And then when I feel bad. the 20 minutes. Huh? When you go for the 20 minutes, you feel your anxiety well, yeah. going up. I yeah. find like I'm doing a marathon. Yeah. Um, so that's just me. Um, but I actually, I spoke to my, to my physician, my primary phys care physician last week. And, and uh, I, he was telling me, wow, you, your heart rate is like really nice and, and low and it looks good. And um, I said, I kind of jokingly said that I was meditating. And I was taking a meditation class. And then he, he told me that he did too. And that that was the way that he started his day every day for the last three years. And then he shared that it took him like three months to really feel at ease with the practice. And it just helped a lot with anxiety and thinking of the day ahead. Like sometimes I know my mind like I, I try to think about everything that's going to happen that day and kind of plan because I'm a planner. And um, so I think that meditating at the beginning, beginning of the day for me has been easier, but like the, the 10 minutes has been kind of like my max. Yeah. So the research shows that eight weeks of a 12 minute meditation practice begins to uh, affect brain structure. And that's what the research shows. This, this week, one of the video, there's a little video for week three and the, doc, the, the neuroscientist's name is uh, Amishi Jha, I believe. She's a, a scientist at UM and she does mind, uh, brain research on the effects of mindfulness on the brain. And it's a really interesting, it's like an 18 minute little video. Um, and her research is that, yeah, it's eight weeks, 12 minutes. At 12 minutes, you start getting effects, um, you know, but I would say at five minutes too, you know, just keep at it. Like we're patient, we're patient. And maybe you ultimately build up to a little bit longer as you, as you start settling into yourself. This is a this is a sane practice, meaning it's meant to uh, to connect us to sanity, you know. And sanity is, you know, aligning with reality, right? What is insane would be to to live in a fantasy world, you know, that's not real. And this is not about again. This is not a, a visualization practice, although there are visualization practices. This is not one of those practices where you're wishing for something else or you're fantasizing about your happy place or your vacation spot in the Caribbean, you know, no, 
it's just kind of like this is a very basic practice of being with what is as Vanessa was pointing to with what is um let me share my screen and um just to point out oops where um where we are this week can you all see that yeah okay so this is week three and um I'll send the link, but it's there on the website, the same uh, password heart, pretty much the same um, uh, instructions. Um, this Friday, we'll, we'll meet again on, uh, on Zoom to meet for the 20 minute sit. Um, and here is the video to uh, Dr. Jha's uh, presentation that she gave at a TED talk in, my, in Coconut Grove. And th these are the notes for week three from La Cualita de Meditación, Befriending. And if you scroll down, meditation has many benefits, but none if you don't practice. <laughs> so if you're practicing five minutes, you know, that's pretty good. So keep at it. Mantra for the week is welcome back, right? So we're, we're, we're inviting ourselves back to our hearts. That's what we're doing, you know? And so we're befriending ourselves. And we're, the idea is like, oh, where have you been? I've missed you. I missed you and I love you and I like to be with you. Welcome back. Just read the little um, the little intro here. And then this document, this is from chapter three. I, I didn't put the title here from the book, When Things Fall Apart. These are some of the highlights for me. The, um, the text from the book has the line next to it. And then I just, I just like, reflect it and sometimes ask questions. This would be like a journaling activity. So I'm just modeling for you what you could do with your book on your own. And um, and I offer it also as a form of conversation, right? That maybe as you read the book, you could have a conversation with the book and you could also have a conversation with me. Um, and uh, And in doing so realize that we're not practicing by ourselves. This is the beautiful thing about doing this in community is that we remind ourselves that we're all struggling. And, um, and the antidote to that struggle is the practice, but also um, each other. Uh, I wanna end with a quote by, by Stephen Porges who, who studies polyvagal theory and, and trauma. And, and he writes, trauma is a chronic disruption of connection. Trauma is a chronic disruption of connection. And what this practice is all about is about returning the connection back to the heart and to ourselves. So we're doing good work. Um, and um, I just hope that you are encouraged wherever you are, right? That, that you notice the judgment that you often hold within yourself towards yourself primarily like I held to myself, right? That we often judge ourselves much more harshly than we judge other people. And um, we wanna extend kindness to ourselves, practice that kindness, open up our hearts to ourselves and do the best we can, knowing that sometimes, you know, we, we won't do what we think we should do. And the good thing is that we have tomorrow and we have the next day and we could keep at it. The worst thing is to fall into this trap 
where we go, well, if I haven't been doing this or if, you know, then I'm, I'm just going to not do it because it's been too late. It's too late. It's not too late. Today is a good day and tomorrow is too. So um, with that, um, I want to end tonight's class and wish you all a beautiful night. Um, hopefully see some of you on Friday uh, for the meditation sit. Uh, some of some of you have joined the Telegram group chat this week. I'm so happy. Um, post things there. You know, if you have any things that you notice or observations, if you want, it's not a big deal if you don't. Um, the idea here is, can we support each other? And uh, and hopefully the answer is yes. So let's take uh, a moment and sit upright again. We're gonna inhale through the nose and then exhale through the mouth. When you exhale through the mouth, just make like a hissing sound, like if you're fogging a mirror. And we'll go inhale. Exhale. Exhale with a smile, inhale. Exhale. Inhale. Exhale. I invite you to bring your hands to heart center. And I'll just say these words and you can repeat them in your mind if you like. If not, ignore them. May all beings be happy. May all beings be free of suffering. May all beings experience joy in the happiness of others. May all beings remain in equanimity, be free of attachment, aversion, and ignorance. Have a great night, everybody.